I try and I don't fear failing. Okay, welcome back to the Marketing Playbook presented by Details Interactive. Here you'll take away three game-winning marketing plays every episode to take back to your team. I'm your host, Mark Friedman, and my career has been focused on direct-to-consumer marketing, direct mail, physical retail, and digital commerce. This is episode number 23, and today's guest is Kara Golden. Before we get started, a quick thank you as always to Max Branstetter of the Wild Business Growth Podcast for producing this episode. You can reach him at max at maxpodcasting.com to help bring your podcast to life. Let's open the playbook. Ready, break. Well, hello, everyone. Thank you for joining the Marketing Playbook Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Kara Golden. Kara is the founder and CEO of Hint, Inc., best known for its award-winning Hint Water, the leading unsweetened flavored water, and the author of Undaunted. She's an active speaker and writer and hosts the podcast Unstoppable with Kara Golden, where she interviews founders, entrepreneurs, and other disruptors across various industries. She lives in the Bay Area. Follow Kara on all social handles at Kara Golden. Kara, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's really uh, great to be able to have somebody uh, like yourself, entrepreneur of a consumer brand that I know, and I'm sure many of my listeners know, uh, also somebody who is in the uh, midst of getting a book out into the market. So I'm really excited to uh, be able to talk to you today. We like to, to start the Marketing Playbook podcast uh, with a little bit of a backstory, the first story of people, kind of where they grew up, siblings, parents, home life, just, you know, quickly get, you know, lay the land of uh, what it was like growing up as, as Kara Golden and how maybe that positioned you for what you're doing now in your career. Yeah. Well, of course, you know, it's always easier to look in a rear view mirror and sort of like try and connect dots. But I grew up the last of five kids in Scottsdale, Arizona. My dad moved us from Minneapolis when I was a tiny little girl and uh, he didn't want to shovel snow anymore. So I think he literally took a finger to a map and figured out where he wouldn't have to do that. And yeah, I mean, I, I grew up in Scottsdale and when there were less than 100,000 people there, and I always say I was a original settler there, not necessarily by choice, but um, loved growing up there and really, you know, appreciate the outdoors, I think today because of that. But my father was, I, I talk about him in my book as like a frustrated entrepreneur that he was, he founded a brand within a larger company um, called Armor Food Company, um, which ultimately uh, they ended up selling this brand to ConAgra. It was a brand called Healthy Choice. And so he developed that. So, uh, you know, it's interesting because he really developed it growing up in our house was also my mother and you know my four brothers and sisters but my mom decided in her mid 40s that she wanted to change careers she had been an art history major and um, done some stuff around art and then decided what she really wanted to go into was fashion and so at you know mid 40s which back then was like a it was a big decision you know to do that and so Watching her, you know, switch into what she ultimately wanted to do, and not to mention the fact that my dad being totally supportive, he just wanted 
a happy wife, you know, and <laughs> wanted to, you know, happy make sure wife, that, happy life, right? Right. And, and <laughs> I, and so it was always, you know, kind of a house of people kind of having passions and, and really doing what they ultimately wanted to do. And I think, you know, all five of his kids, I think we'd all say today that the one thing that my dad instilled in us was um, we always had to play a sport. It was like part of the deal of being my maiden name is Keenan and it was always in the Keenan house. He couldn't care less what sport, um, but he was like, everybody needs to always be active and, and playing some kind of sport. And so, you know, with that, I think learned a lot about teamwork and appreciation for people that are maybe better than you at certain things, um, but also kind of setting goals for yourself along the way that just allow you to ultimately be the best that you can possibly be. That's great. And, and the Arizona uh, upbringing brought you to Arizona State journalism. Uh, I guess that uh, based upon working at Time and CNN, you were thinking that you were going to be a journalist? Well, I, I started out, yeah. I mean, you know, I went to Arizona State primarily because it was in state tuition and, and I was there and, you know, it's a, it's, I was, um, you know, had a great time there in journalism and, and something when I'm on college campuses, I talk about a lot is that I really didn't understand finance when I was going to school at ASU. And, I had, I sort of feared it. Like I just didn't really understand what a business plan was. And, you know, again, I'm 18 years old and I thought I don't really necessarily want to go into business. Um, what I really liked to do was write. Um, and I loved my kind of communications classes and those were great. But I thought if I can just go take some classes where some of my friends were, frankly, in the business school, then that would be great. And that's when I really decided I should take classes and things that I know nothing about. So I went to classes in finance and, you know, I bring this up on college campuses because I think it's like the perfect time to go and learn things is when you're actually in school, like even if it's not part of your major, um, you know, I was speaking at UC Berkeley last year and probably upset a few people who were maybe seniors in engineering. I was speaking to an engineering class, because I said, if you don't have appreciation for marketing or finance or other things besides engineering, then, you know, I've got news for you. You're, you're never going to be the head of Facebook or Google, because at the end of the day, like you've got to have an appreciation for those other pieces in order to actually go run a company. It's not to say that you can't be a terrific engineer or, you know, I think it goes for every single thing that you end up learning in school. You really have to go and take classes in those things. So then you can actually say like those things are important, not important more than anything, try and figure out how to understand those things. So that's what I did. And when I was, you know, there in finance, I, you know, learned to read the Wall Street Journal and, and also Fortune magazine. And ultimately that's when like a light bulb went off in my head. I used to read Fortune and the Wall Street Journal re religiously because it really challenged me to understand um, something that I just didn't have a comfort level with. And that's when I graduated, I, I decided my dream job was to go and work for Marshall Loeb at Fortune Magazine. He wasn't coming on campus to interview. And instead, I 
invested in a plane flight to go to New York and figure out how I was going to get a job there. So it's another crazy story that I'll leave for the book, but it's, um, it's, I never ended up getting a job at Fortune, but I did get a job in the building in, at Time. And I look at today, everything that I know about e-commerce was really, you know, one component of it was really the things that I learned there as I worked in circulation around subscription and lifetime value and lots of things that we talk about today. But, you know, the magazine industry and maybe the credit card industry are the ones that really were talking about this stuff, you know, back in the 80s and 90s, you know, way before we even had e-commerce. Yeah, as the, I grew up in the catalog industry. Yeah. And and that was also a place and it's funny as, you know, I moved into digital, you know, just about everything, all the key metrics that you follow in a digital commerce business or ones that we followed, you know, in catalog or subscription, you know, like you're talking about, you know, your comment about, you know, finance and, and accounting also as a, a trained accountant, I've always believed, thankfully, I got out of that very early in my career. But, you know, I've always believed that the way to best learn a business is through the accounting and the, the P&L statement uh, of a business. And uh, when I do a lot of mentoring and speaking, as you do to, uh, to younger people, even if you're not an accountant or you're not a financial major, force yourself to get into something, even if it's basic accounting, because there's nothing that you're going to do where that's not going to come up and, and be a requirement for you to understand the business. Yeah, no, absolutely. But I also think, you know, I know a ton of would-be entrepreneurs or wanna-be entrepreneurs who have come from the finance side. And I think it's like having an understanding of marketing and storytelling and not just the financial metrics, because I think like, unfortunately, sometimes things are kind of hard to measure in some of these other areas, but they're important. And you look at brands that have been really built to stay. I feel like there's relevance in all these different arms and things that you should learn. And you spent um, seven years, I believe, uh, at AOL. AOL was flying high. Is that pre or post uh, merger acquisition with time? Oh, very pre. So I was there, yeah, 95. I mean, technically, like I think it was a little bit later, but um, AOL was actually an investor in a startup that I was working out that was Actually, the startup was called Two Market, and it originated inside of Apple. I never worked at Apple, but the there were three guys that worked at Apple and on this idea um, that was actually an original idea of Steve Jobs, and they ultimately decided to spin it out into this company, Two Market, from Apple, and then they were looking for an investor, and AOL came in and invested in this company, and Anyway, I ended up joining them when I moved to San Francisco, end of 94, beginning of 95, and they were not even a year old at that point. And AOL, we were kind of working with AOL. They were trying to do some e-commerce, but really hadn't figured it out. They were starting a channel strategy. So they had, I don't know if you remember, but sports and news and shopping. And so they were kind of like, we were an investment, but they were you know, really excited about the progress that we had made that I was leading around really signing up partners, including J. Crew and Omaha Steaks. And um, so that was what I had been responsible for. So they ultimately acquired us, they said, primarily for, you know, those relationships that we had 
with the brands. And initially it was to bring really a two-platform approach to a lot of these relationships. So not just having everybody on the CD um, that we had, but also on the online service. And then eventually once um, internet speeds were a little bit more acceptable and downloading things, then we did away with the CD. But yeah, that's how I got to AOL. And then ultimately, as you mentioned, all my former companies rolled up into one. I was sort of in between my time at AOL and time I was at CNN. And so all those companies sort of rolled up into one. So I stayed on in a transition team for a year. And uh, my husband, which was part of the reason why we moved to the Bay Area, he was at another one of the companies that was getting rolled up into that Netscape. And so he was an intellectual property lawyer there. And so we both worked on the transition team and then ultimately decided we're done. We're, we're out. We're like going to try and figure out what we want to do, including, you know, starting our family. We had three kids at that point. That's kind of when the idea around Hint started, which was um, just trying to get myself healthier than I had been and paying more attention to what I was putting in my body and my family's body. And that was really what kind of, that's how the idea really came to flourishing. Right. So you, now you have this idea, you want to get healthier. So what did you do? There's lots of different ways to get healthier. Uh, where did you see a void in the market? What made it uh, that it was, you know, around water and, and, you know, things for hydration? Yeah. So, I mean, I call myself an accidental entrepreneur because very, different than a lot of entrepreneurs I've talked to. I didn't sit there even watching my dad kind of be a frustrated entrepreneur think, okay, you know, one day I'm going to run my own company or I have lots of ideas and I'm going to develop one of those. Instead, I wanted to, as you said, get healthier. And I didn't have like a diagnosis of being ill, but I had gained a bunch of weight over the course of having a bunch of kids and also my energy levels had just dropped significantly. And I had also developed terrible adult acne that I didn't even have as a kid. So, you know, for me, I had, again, been an athlete growing up. I knew how to like train and work out and I started running a lot again and nothing was like working to get myself in shape. And so I started paying attention to what I was eating, just thinking if it's not the exercise, maybe it's what I'm putting into my body and still kind of nothing, like everything seemed like I was fairly healthy on, on that front. But one day I was looking down at my diet soda and I saw like all these ingredients that I didn't even understand. And I never really paid attention because it said the word diet on it. So I assumed like it definitely was better for me. And that's when I really thought, okay, I'm going to put this to the side and start drinking water in exchange. And then I really thought about, gosh, why don't I drink more water? And, you know, again, I'd grown up in Arizona. I should have been drinking a lot more, was an athlete. So I really should have been drinking a lot more, but I just kind of gave myself a, a pass to that diet soda. Like I thought, oh, it's, it's fine. And then when I swapped it out for two and a half weeks, and I ultimately lost over 20 pounds in two and a half weeks, I, and my skin cleared, my energy levels were gone, I really started taking a close look at 
you know, how I not only had been fooled into believing that something was better for me, but how many other people have been fooled. And that for me was just, you know, kind of this epiphany and really the main reason why I started the company then. And what I believe today is that, you know, it's really hard for consumers to actually get healthy today. And, you know, for me, I was looking in San Francisco at my local Whole Foods and thinking, okay, if I shop at Whole Foods and work out, I'm going to be great. And the reality is, is that, you know, it's not just about calories. It's not just about not eating certain things or drinking diet. It's really about paying attention to how your body reacts to, to different things. And in my case, it was diet sweeteners. And so when I really believed that I would be drinking more water if I had some kind of flavor in it. And I was shocked to see that the market 15 years ago was filled with things not only were filled with some sort of sweetener in it, whether it was sugar or diet sweeteners, but also other things that were tricking the consumer. So vitamin water was out on the market then, but they didn't have a, even a diet version at that point. But vitamin water had more calories in it than a can of Coke. And I thought, wow, like there's people that are drinking this that actually think that it's better for them. And it just shocked me that like this are allowed, that they're even trademarked, right? Like it's just, it, it was really, really shocking. And again, hadn't been in the food and beverage industry, had been in the tech industry. And so I came at it with this lens of, gosh, if I could just not only help myself and help my family, but also help a lot of other people to kind of understand what I see, then that would be really great. And I didn't even know if it was a company. I remember when I was first starting, people said, gosh, that's so great that you started a company. And I'm like, is it a company? Like I have three SKUs. I'm not really sure it's like, I've worked at CNN and AOL and I'm not really sure it's a company. And I was almost trying to convince myself that it was, this was not a company, that it was just a few products that I was getting on the shelf at Whole Foods. And subtitle of my book is Overcoming Doubts and Doubters. I clearly had doubts as to whether or not I could do it or whether or not it was a company. But for me, you know, it was really kind of a a mission to see what whether or not I could actually help people get healthier. So, you know, there's so much we could talk about. Um, I could probably spend hours talking with you because it's so interesting of how you you built this company, so-called company, I guess, at the beginning. So once you knew that water, flavored water was going to be the the place for you, how did you go about, you know, really getting it started? Did you you ultimately uh, needed to get it produced for you. You needed to go through some, you know, lots of tasting to make sure that it met, you know, the requirements that you had. Give us a, a quick overview of how you, you put it together. Yeah, so it really started in my kitchen and first slicing up fruit, throwing it in water. And then what I realized that I was putting fruit into a big carafe and put it in my refrigerator. And after a couple of days, it would just sort of not taste very good. Like, and so I thought if there's a way to get rid of the pulp, like that seemed to be the stuff that got nasty looking. I wonder if this would actually do better. And so I started playing with it, like trying to figure out what if I just put a peel in the water? And I mean, I was literally like throwing fruit on the stove and boiling out 
you know, the water and just trying to see like what I could get from the oils and essences of the fruit. And again, I had no idea what I was doing. And I think that this is the story too of so many entrepreneurs. And another reason why I wrote my book was, you know, just to inspire people to just start trying and start playing. Because I think that so often we think like, oh, I, I've never been in the beverage industry, so I can't do it. And when you hear the stories of real entrepreneurs, it starts a very similar way. Maybe they weren't boiling down fruit on the stove, but they were just trying like these crazy ideas. And like they had no idea what they were doing, but they were just playing with it. And then, you know, you have something to go on and maybe something to get better at. And if nothing else, you have a, I never burn the house down or anything like that. Like, you know, you're able to kind of look back on those times as times when, you know, you actually learn quite a bit. And you're right. I mean, when I, started looking at how do I get this on the shelf? And Whole Foods was our first retailer in San Francisco. You know, that's when I, you know, was making batches in our kitchen, but basically decided to try and find a bottler. And the number of bottlers that, oh, what did you do before? Oh, like you didn't work at, a, at one of the beverage companies before? I mean, they just immediately wrote me off. Like this person's a waste of time. They'll never actually do this. And finally, I found one that said uh, they were based out of Chicago. They were a female-founded company. And basically, I convinced her to run like a small batch for us. And I think like that's the thing, too, that you're going to hear a lot of no's along the way, but then you'll find somebody that does it. It's a numbers game on pretty much everything that you do. And I think like that's the mindset. Like I would just I don't know. I was just, I just had so much fun along the way. I would definitely have days that were bad days, right? And I would say, okay, I'm done for the day. Now I'm going to get back up, you know, and start again, or maybe go in a little bit different direction. But I think also for me, I built a very successful business inside of AOL. And I felt like no one could ever take that away from me. Right. And, and so now I was going and doing this like super crazy idea that I was just really passionate about and passionate for all the right reasons, you know, around health. And so I felt like even if it took me longer to do it, I was okay with that. And I think it's also sort of another thing that, you know, I've shared with a lot of entrepreneurs too, that I've always tried to figure out is here, you know, as the youngest vice president at AOL and one of a few number of female vice presidents at AOL at the time. And I just felt like I want to go back to the bottom and learn. I mean, it's part of what I talk about in kind of building a culture too, that I always encourage our managers um, in our company to hire people that they're going to learn from. Because I think that for me at AOL, I got to a point where I was having to teach people who worked for me all the time. And after a while, like that gets old for everybody right? Like you're every manager I've talked to. And, you know, if you're not learning, then you get bored, right? And maybe you get bored of the company, but you have to be learning. And so, you know, it's a question that I always pose to all of our managers. I'm like, what do they know that you don't know? Or what do they do better than you? Because I think that you have to have those people. You can still manage people who are better than you at certain things or who know more than you. It's a different thing. And so, that's really what I learned and 
when I look back on my time at AOL that I think, you know, I was just at a place where I had sort of risen to the top of where I wanted to be and and I wanted to go back to learn. So for me, like the beverage industry was super fascinating. And even though I got knocked down a few times, I also was like, no one can take away what I've built in this other industry. And now it's time for me to go and get my MBA in this industry (laughs) and learn. So that's great. That's great. Yeah. I always try to find people, hire people around me that are smarter than I. Uh, you know, I, I get bored very quickly and, and being able to have people challenge you with things that, you know, I don't know uh, is a, what you're saying is, is a great point. How many flavors uh, can we find of Hint these days? So like 25-ish. I mean, we, we do these things called smash-ups that we do pretty much online only initially. And it's sort of a test of bringing two crazy flavors together. Our newest one that we just launched that is so good. Actually, I was just had a few bottles sitting on my desk right next to me, but uh, blueberry lemon. And yeah, it's really good. And actually, those are two very complicated fruits to sort of deal with too, because they're Lemon, you, people would think like, oh, lemon, how hard could it be? But the reality is, is that, you know, the essence, the zest that comes out of the lemon actually can turn very, very fast. So sometimes, you know, people will try something lemony and it will like literally smell like turpentine, right? And if you let it sit for long enough, it could actually get that way too. But that I don't worry about in the hint product, but definitely the taste is something that you know, we've really tried to master and it's a very sensitive fruit. And then also blueberries too is something that, you know, because it's seasonal, there's certain times a year that they taste better than others. And we sometimes don't use just the blueberry, just as we use real fruit, which is not what, you know, most companies and sort of the beverage industry use unless you're a juice company. But we oftentimes will use like grape skins in addition. It's all plant-based and fruits or vegetables that we're using in the product. But anyway, it's a flavor I'm really, really proud of. The devil's in the details. You've probably heard that phrase time and time again in your professional life. Projects get started with great intentions, but you no longer have the time to pay attention to the little things that can make the difference between success and failure. At Details Interactive, you can discuss your business with a seasoned direct-to-consumer marketing executive who has helped launch and grow web businesses and integrate multi-channel marketing initiatives. Learn more at detailsinteractive.com. I think one of the things that's interesting in looking at your business online, you know, you started, I think, in, you know, a bottle, but then you migrated into boxes for kids and things. So product extensions important in a business like this? Yeah, I, I think like the key thing that we kept hearing around the kids' boxes is that the age group that actually drinks out of kids' boxes is pretty limited, right? Like it's maybe by the time you get to be seven or eight years old, you're really, that's not your first choice. You you want to grab a bottle and you want it reclosable. and But there's this market that enters decision-making around beverages before the bottle that is that under seven that is really faced with limited choices that are good for you. I mean, they've got, you know, the juice boxes and the Capri Suns and I mean, it's just sugar, 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 sugar. And so the problem for us really is graduating those people to 
a better for you product that doesn't have the sweet in it. It was like for a long time, we thought, oh, that market's so small and so minimal and so limited. But if they're used to drinking sugar, right, at that age versus actually starting out on a product like Hint, then we have to convert those people. Like we have to convert their taste buds. And so that's how we thought about going into that market and kind of doing it in a packaging that is similar to what they're used to having. And then you expanded into a sunscreen product as well. How did that come about? Yeah. So, I mean, it's interesting. We didn't think about going outside a beverage, um, another sort of entrepreneurial story. Basically, sunscreen is all, it all has to be FDA approved. And so in order to get FDA approved, you need a company name. And so I used Hint's company name as a placeholder for getting the approval on the FDA. Again, in my own kitchen, like was just making my sunscreen. I had gotten some basal cell, not so great um, sun spots on my nose. And I finally thought, okay, I, I really need to start wearing sunscreen and be more serious about it. And that's when I really realized that the sunscreens that were in the market, I had an issue with them. Either they were zinc and ended up screwing up my foundation that I wear on my face, or they were itchy, or they smelled. I mean, I always like thought it was curious how sunscreen was either unscented or tropical. And that was it. Like, And I thought, I don't really want to wear tropical, um, especially if I'm going to be like going out for the afternoon or working or whatever and smell like I've just been at the beach. But a lot of these unscented sunscreens like stink. I mean, they just don't really have, you know, they, they just don't have an interesting smell. And, and that's the other thing that I've learned about branding. And, and frankly, it's not just for products that you wear. I think it's also true for products that you drink or that you eat. In order to get kind of the stickiness and the consumer trust, I mean, it has to smell great. Like even if it's a product that is really like something that you eat or something that you drink, that nose that you get right before you actually consume it is very, very important. And so, you know, that I had, you know, learned and sort of growing up with Hint, developing the product, but then really felt like if I can create a better sunscreen, but also that like smells better, that doesn't have oxybenzone and, and is just something that is definitely enjoyable to wear, then that would be awesome. And so we weren't sure how long that would actually take to get the FDA approval. It ended up taking like a year to get the approval. And then what I thought was so funny is we had more like beverage trade magazines and and beverage executives that were wait a minute, what's she doing? Like we, we saw that she's like doing a water and that doesn't have sweeteners in it, but now she's doing a sunscreen. And so frankly, we got like a lot of press off of it and we kept thinking, we'll just use the hint name as a placeholder and then we'll see what happens. And then, I don't know, people just like seemed to think that that was like part of the strategy and and we thought i don't know just leave it for now i mean it people are like having a discussion about it and everybody says it's a great sunscreen but they just don't understand why a beverage company would go into the sunscreen industry and then it's it's funny because we left it there i mean we launched it a couple of years ago we left 
hint on. And then uh, we actually developed another product that I really wanted to disrupt the natural better for you deodorant industry because I didn't love the feel of a lot of these better for you deodorants. Um, but I wanted to do away with the aluminum. And it started again out of a health story around my dad had Alzheimer's and passed away 10 years ago. And I started looking at what is it that, you know, incredibly creative, you know, smart guy that was always like Mr. Ideas, like was gone when he got Alzheimer's. And so I started looking at, you know, aluminum and the effects on the body and, and what a lot of doctors were saying. And obviously there's no cure for Alzheimer's, but I thought there's a lot of people that talk about aluminum. How do you do away with, you know, coming in contact with aluminum? You don't drink out of cans. You might not use aluminum foil. I had never thought about antiperspirant and something that I did every single day. And so that's when I started seeing, gosh, can I find one? Can I make my own, you know, really kind of research this. And that's when I did it. And, you know, I always share with people, I had sort of made a commitment to myself that if I still sweat or if I smelled, then I might go back. I wasn't, I wasn't like totally committed to it. But what I realized after my body got used to wearing the Hint deodorant after two months, I stopped sweating. Yeah, it was amazing. And now, I mean, it's so funny. I said the same thing to my husband and I have four teenagers. You know, I'm like, don't just do it because of me. I mean, I, you make your own decisions. And I mean, it's, it's funny. I have people when, you know, we sell it primarily on our website and on Amazon, I've, when we run out on Amazon, I mean, I have people texting me and saying, can I get like five of them? Like, I just, you know, go crazy and I've told so many people about it. I mean, people are obsessed with it. So I think once you have three categories, you know, people start to say, oh, that's what these guys were doing. I mean, they're really around health and they start speaking about, you know, these other products. What I, the truth is, is that there was no big strategy. It sort of happened by accident. But the other piece of it is, I feel like it has the halo effect, right? We yeah, don't I was just go going to use the word halo effect. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly right. Yeah. And I think it builds trust for your brand. And so, you know, I think when people start to discover, they'll discover the deodorant and then they'll they'll be like, oh yeah, I, I drink Hint too, but now I'm going to drink it even more because you are doing, you get me, like you understand the things that I'm thinking about, whether it's sunscreen or deodorant or we just last week actually launched a hand sanitizer that my frustration during COVID of trying to find a hand sanitizer that, you know, wasn't rancid smelling or smelling like alcohol. It was just really frustrating. And I thought, okay, if we can actually use our essences to actually create a hand sanitizer, I don't think that is going away for people anytime soon. So it's amazing. Now we have to figure out how we can make enough of it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you, people, you and a lot of others, yeah. Yeah, it's been, well, it's been crazy. We barely put it on our website. And I mean, it's people have just been, it's been selling out. It's been insane. Great. So let's get to the book. We, we, uh, we talked so much about Hint, which is uh, so interesting. I want to make sure we leave time for the book. So the book yeah. is called Undaunted, Overcoming Doubts and Doubters. You've touched on a little bit of this already, but you know, quickly, why write it? What was the story that you were trying to tell everybody? Yeah. So, you know, as I 
mentioned, I had tons of doubts and definitely some doubters along the way too, and fears and failures. And what I realized in, in kind of speaking about building the brand over the years when, you know, there's always the Q&A at the end of these sessions that I speak at and people would stand up and almost apologize saying that I was so different that I didn't have fears or I had never failed along the way or it didn't doubt myself like they were. And I think somewhere along the way, I blurted out that actually that's not true. We're actually the same. The difference between me and you is that I try and I don't fear failing. I actually don't sit there and allow failure to be this thing that prevents me from trying. And so every time I would say this, I would really see people think, wow, that's really interesting. That is something that I do. Or, you know, I'll ask people, like, I'll say, like, should I go, should I quit my job and go start this? You know, and I always say, like, you'll never get a straight answer, especially out of like the people you love, right? They'll say, nah, you shouldn't do it. Like, they don't want you to take risk, right? Or whatever it is. So I thought, if I could actually write my stories down and let people know through my own stories that it's okay, right? You can go and do things. You can get into Starbucks and get kicked out of Starbucks and still land on your feet, right? You, you've got, I mean, there's so many stories in there. And in addition, I felt like over the last few years, entrepreneurism has been overly glamorized. I always say to entrepreneurs that are thinking or would-be entrepreneurs that there's way easier ways to make money and work less hours than working in a startup or being an entrepreneur. And I feel like people really need to know those stories. And so I don't know if you know Guy Kawasaki, who was- Yeah, early, yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. When Guy read my, you know, a preview of my book, I mean, it was funny. He called me and he said, I got one question to ask you before, you know, I tell you whether or not I'm going to do a blurb for your book. And I said, what's that? And he said, who in the world would be an entrepreneur after they read your book? And I started laughing and I was like, you know, assuming that that was his way of getting out of doing the blurb. And I said, I think a lot of people would because, you know, I'm still standing and smiling and I've built a big company. I'm just being honest and sort of sharing with people that it takes a lot of resilience and you just got to keep going. And he said, and that is what I loved about this book. He said, it is the most honest entrepreneurial book where it's a choice. You know, the fact that you did lots of things along the way that you're not supposed to be able to do, you know, you're a female entrepreneur who's raised a lot of money. You, you know, have built a company going up against two giants in an industry where, you know, you did things differently, including brought in, I mean, 55% of our business is direct to consumer. That's not what beverage companies do today. So I think like that is the thing that I really wanted to instill in people that, you know, through my own stories, if they read these, then they will understand and hopefully it will make them be inspired enough to go and say, gosh, if she can do it, I can go do these things as well. And it's not a, I mean, it's interesting. One person read the book. It was like a, a reviewer who I think went in 
not really understanding an entrepreneur's mindset and said, you don't actually tell me in the book at the end of every chapter, these are the things that I should have learned. And these are the things that you have to do in order to start a company. And I wrote back to the, the person, I said, no great entrepreneur, they might ask you, what are the three things I need to do? But no great entrepreneur or great entrepreneurial company would actually say that somebody actually gave them the directions, right? Like it just doesn't happen. I mean, there's like, no matter what the industry is, the, the greatest stories are the ones that are really done by trying and they didn't have the roadmap and they found the white space and, you know, and they, went the wrong direction and then they recovered and went back the other direction or they went the wrong direction and then it ended up to be the right direction. I mean, <laughs> those, right? Those are the stories. And so this is not a prescriptive self-help book. I mean, this is a book that actually shares the story of building a company that is here to stay. That's incredible. So when you were all done, was it, you know, was it cathartic, you know, that you put all of this down on a piece of paper? Did it help you with your, you know, your own uh, reason for doing the business and, and continuing to move on? Was that helpful to you? You know, it's funny. It's, there's two ways to write a book. I figured out nobody, like I know a ton of authors and I would ask them, but none of it really made sense until I actually did it on my own. But there's two ways to write a book. One is to actually have you know, maybe a publisher or have a clear idea of where you want to go with your topic. The other is how I did it, which was basically journaling and journaling stories that people would maybe respond to in somewhat of a shocking educational way along the way that I started just really writing. And again, I was traveling so much that I figured, you know, I have time to write. And I'm in hotel rooms where I'm like, you know, instead of watching TV, I just sit there and start writing these things down. And I had no idea where it was going to go, including the title. I mean, I just kept writing. And I'm really happy I did because when I ultimately went out to get this book published, I had publishers who were saying, I want you to write a prescriptive, here's how entrepreneurs do it, one, two, three. And I thought, mm, no, I really want to do a book that shares stories and I'm part of an organization called YPO. And I think, you know, one thing that I always talk about that I'm really grateful for that I learned in YPO and Forum is that you're not there to solve someone else's problem in Forum. You're actually there to sort of share your stories where the individual can solve their own problems. But based on you telling a story that might really trigger them to think, okay, I get it. Maybe this is how I should do it. And that's really kind of the mindset and how I think that the best leaders think is that they don't expect people to solve their problems. They really want to learn through other people's experiences. Right. So we're getting to the end of our show here. So remind everybody uh, about the date that the book is coming out. Yeah, it's coming out October 20th. Very, very exciting. And you can find it at undauntedthebook.com or it's on Amazon as well. Yeah, and definitely reach out to me on social at Kara Golden. I'm really excited. And like I, what I do with everything else that we're doing with Hint is, you know, my hope is really just to help people. Well, that's great. I'm going to head over to Whole Foods sometime later and get some blueberry lemon. And if I can't find it there, I'll go to the website and, <laughs> exactly. and buy it. 
you know, so uh, that's great. Well, look, Kara, this was great. I really enjoyed the conversation. Love your brand. Uh, love the stuff that you're doing. And um, I, I think the, the galleys that I read of the book are fantastic. I'm sure the full book is going to be even better. So congratulations and thanks for taking the time today. Thank you so much. Thanks, everybody. That's it. Today's game ball goes to Kara Golden for coming on the Marketing Playbook. To me, today's three game-winning marketing plays were as follows. Number one, Kara spoke of her appreciation for people that were better than her in certain aspects of their lives. We can learn from everyone, and setting goals is an important part of being able to improve. Set some stretch goals for yourself or others on your team and create reasonable performance metrics to measure achievements. Number two, do not underestimate how important it is to have some financial background. Even if that's not a core strength, any business person needs some basic understanding of financial statements and marketing. And number three, so often we hear that a business was started because the founder had a crazy idea. Kara simply wanted to get healthy, and from that she built Hint. She heard a lot of no's along the way, but because she was not afraid of failure, she was able to create a thriving business. Thank you, Playbook Marketers, for listening to another episode. If you want to check out more pages of the Marketing Playbook, make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast spot and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow us on Twitter at Details Interact and learn more at DetailsInteractive.com. Until next time, the devil is in the details. Yeah.